Hello and welcome to Living Being. I'm Chris Park. I'm Patrick Ray. We love bees. There's so much uh, to learn. One never stops learning about bees. Bees are fascinating and they're over the most of the world. They have great relationships with flowers and uh, the, the plant kingdom in general. And wherever there are bees, there is health. Hi, Chris. Hi, Patrick. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Um, uh, things are going well. Um, just yep. it feels as though the, the, the beekeeping season really has come to an end, even though I said that a few weeks ago. I think I feel that it's kind of all wound down now. We're really, you know, it's bees have kind of consolidated. And what do you think? Yes, I mean, in a rural setting, there's not much forage. We still have a tiny bit of ivy flowering but it's soon to soon to perish isn't it i think and there's also a field of of uh what is it yellow flowering mustard oh, right. uh, but that that's coming and it, well, you know even if it's flowering i'm not sure it's warm enough for the bees to make much use of it but they are flying yeah. you know on on sunny days like today the bees are flying i've still seen a few queen wasps visiting the odd hive yeah i guess they're queens i mean and and uh, just to see if they can get a bit, get a bit of honey from well, the bees. Do, do you think everything's the, quiet, isn't it? It's quieting down a bit, and uh, it is quieting down. Do you think the wasps are queens, or do you think they're just desperate workers with the, the nests all breaking up? And I think they're queens because I, I was in the bee house the other day, and I had to lie down, and there was one of them sort of squirrelled away in a blanket, and I got a sting on my ankle. Oh, really? Which I really enjoyed itching today. So, you know, after, after you know, a day or two, I can then have this really satisfying itch. Yeah. <laughs> and funny, bizarrely, actually, bizarrely, uh, a few days before that, I, I trod on a nail which went into through my Wellington boot and into my big toe. And I was stung really close to where, on, um, to that same wound. Right. And it just feels like, oh, great, that, what, that wasp venom is doing a bit of sort of antiviral protection oh. on that toe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so two, two puncture wounds in the same week. So if you do cut yourself, always get yourself stung nearby or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I, I just, uh, we've, there was a little bumblebee in the kitchen just earlier, just before I came in to talk to you. And um, yeah. we, well, whether it was a bumble or a carder, anyway, the, the little bee was, uh, we thought, uh, my son and I uh, thought that it was in need of something like honey or something. Okay. So, so we gave yeah. it some, but actually wasn't interested. <laughs> and it was uh, uh, yeah. it was quite happy to really energetically fly around the place. So mm -hmm. there's obviously um, a lot of life, a, a lot of life left in it. I mean, it's still quite it is still warm enough for things to be flying around, isn't it? So especially yeah. the bumbles. Yeah. yeah, I've seen I've seen bumblebees and honeybees on fruit on raspberries and blackberries. And we've got a lot of apples this year and the ones the hens have pecked on the ground there have been been bees in inside those cavities. Yeah. So they're gathering fruit juices and taking that and I'm not sure if they take the fruit juices home and add it to the nectar. Right. Or if they're just you know refueling and just sustaining themselves. That's something to, to research, isn't it? Whether they actually turn those fruit juices into nectar. Yeah. Um, sorry, add add it to the 
to the nectar that they're ripening into honey at home, or if it's just for there and then for their own flight uh, sustenance. Well, like an emergency sort of refueling, the last last mm. the last leg to go towards getting back to the hive. Oh, I think they do. I think they do add it. Because I remember there's a book, there's a book called, it was made, it was made into a film, something about bees and honey, the, uh, what is it, it's an American book that was made into a film, um, and they mentioned, they Queen mentioned the, there's a Queen, ti- of the, Queen of the Sun, was it Queen of the... No, 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 it's something like The Secret Life of Bees, that's uh, it, okay. and in that book they mention a particularly dry season in this place in America where the, these, this film, this book is set, and how the bees, they get some purple honey. Because the bees take the elderberry juice and bring it back to the hive, and they oh. get this, uh, and it colours the honey purple. <laughs> so they are, so they are. The, they're gathering raspberry juice then, and blackberry juice, and other things from around and about. Well, well, well. They need, you know, they need all everything they can get for the winter, don't they? Yes, so, and, uh, and especially, especially in the Caribbean. In they, the Caribbean, they had a, they had a dry a, summer, didn't they, this year? I love love the way you led on to our next <laughs> yes. our, our next interview. <laughs> Subtly, uh, yeah, the Caribbean. Yes, indeed. We talked to Gladstone Solomon in in Tobago. In fact, yes. who's a bee farmer um, who's got quite a few hives, isn't he? And it was really interesting to talk to Gladstone because it gives us a, a really different perspective on on beehiving the other side of the world. Yes, in a different climate, different forage, and. Uh, Different seasons. Yeah, he's, yeah, it's great to hear that he's sold out of honey this year. I'm sure he hasn't now, but you know when we were speaking to him. Yeah, well, just as we spoke to him, just as we he picked up on our on our call, um, someone rung his doorbell, didn't they? And uh, That's right, <laughs> turned yeah. up for some honey, so we had to have a a short pause before we before we were able to talk to him again. But uh, <laughs> anyway, let's let's go straight over to Gladstone in Tobago. Gladstone, you're on Tobago. You're on the island of Tobago. Yes, I'm on Tobago. And um, Tobago, is, it's part of the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago, a, a two-island state. Tobago is the smaller of the two islands. Uh, we we approximately 116 square miles, 26 miles long by 7 miles wide. Uh, Trinidad... The big island um, is about 20 times the size of Tobago, with a population of about 1.2, 1.3 million. The whole of Tobago is 60, 65,000. And many beekeepers yeah. on Tobago? Or? Uh, there are about 35, uh, 40 of us. The numbers would vary as you would appreciate. And we manage in the vicinity of uh, 700, 800 colonies. Um, you know, we use, we use our rule of thumb. We, we governed by beekeeping legislation. We have a government officer who would go out and visit beekeepers. And he would normally do a, a colony count um, at least once per year in terms of the you know, the, the data collection. So that's the figures that I, I got from him. And you were born there and you've grown up there and 
I guess you've been beekeeping no, a long time then. Um, because oh, of the, the economics of the both islands. Yeah. Yeah, Trinidad and Tobago. My dad was born here. Yeah. And often, you know, you have a two island state, one with 60,000, one with a million and a half. I don't mm. know if it's the case with, with Wales and England or something like that. You yes. usually have a population drift. So the, in, in, in a way, the ironic thing is that Tobago's population has been steady for, for almost decades, 60, 65,000. Yeah. Because every year you have cohorts of people mm-hmm. leaving to go to Trinidad uh, for employment, for yeah. education, and, and that kind of stuff. opportunity or something, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad was one of those. Um, so I was born down, down there, but I've been coming to Tobago ever since I knew myself. But I yeah. fell in love with the island very, very early. You know, all my mm-hmm. holiday experiences and memories are, are mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. So at the age of 32, 33, I moved over permanently. Um, having decided to come to Tobago, you know, I, I went to university in Canada, I did hotel and tourism for four years in the 70s. Didn't want to be in the public sector and all this kind of thing. Decided to come to Bago, smaller population, greener, more environmental. You know, you're going through that sort of personal development. And my question in my mind was, what am I going to do in Tobago? Yeah, I had, yeah, you know, a degree yeah. in hotel and tourism. And it's a, you know, our main economic driver here is, is, is tourism, domestic tourism. and international. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more, mm-hmm. more domestic now. But I didn't like the industry too much, you know, false front and everything else. And so I had a period mm-hmm. of going through this, this search, you know, t- internal upheaval. And it is in that process that, I don't know, I don't know how to, if it's, I stumbled upon beekeeping. I believe, how, how? you know. How yeah. did you do that? You just met a beekeeper or, or you thought, oh. No, it's I, just, I, I, we I like was, honey. Yeah, I was living in Trinidad. I was on the, what we call the veranda, front of the house, just relaxing one morning. And I unconsciously, I kind of found this out after, followed a bee, picked up a bee flying, and the bee landed on a cactus flower. Now, cactus don't flower very often. And, and you know, you, you, you heard, or you would have heard about a, a eureka moment. Yeah. So this, this, is, my, this is my real experience, I, you know. Yeah, beekeeping. So, so the bees chose you. <laughs> Could you <Yeah>. say? That? <laughs> they say we know what Be you're going to do. You're going to keep bees. They, they, they provided a solution to my query, and anything with B W E S, I started to read. Yeah. You know, once, and once you once you start, then you, you you excuse the pun, but you get the bug, don't you? And, and hey, it takes over your life. That's it. <laughs> you you know it. You know it, Chris. <laughs> I I thought. I usually tell people, you know, I thought I picked up beekeeping, but then I found out that it's beekeeping that picked me up. You know, after thirty something years, I'm I'm hooked, man. I'm, um, you know, <laughs> it's fascinating. It's interesting. It's brought so much meaning uh, to my life. Um, yeah. And are you completely self-taught on it? Um... You know, did did you have a did you have a mentor or someone that, that showed you the ropes or did you yes. did, did you just learn it all yourself? Uh, shortly after, you know, I had that experience um, making inquiries all over the place. There was a training program in Trinidad, uh, so I signed up for that. 
um, was a three-day training program. And at that time, I was in a, you know, transitioning to Tobago. So I went to that program, came to Tobago, and I would virtually go to the government botanic station where they had bees and an apiary officer. I would go there like every day and just help them do stuff, you know. Um, <laughs> picked up yeah. quite a bit. And after a little while, maybe a matter of uh, weeks and months, I got a nook from them and I purchased a nook from another beekeeper. So I started with two nooks and, and took off from there. And, you know, so it's... And now the, how many the, colonies the, do you manage now? You say 70 or something like that? Yeah, a little, little up. I'm, I'm actually pushing towards the 100. There's something mystical about a, a 100 in my mind. Uh -huh. Maybe cricket, you score century, whatever. I don't yeah. know the connection. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm about 85. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I figure, hey, I'm 70 years. You know, I reach 100. Production colonies level off there somewhat, and then maybe start a, you know, boil boil back down. Yeah. What What would the bees be foraging on, uh, in Tobago? Just if you could give us some examples of plants or trees, in fact. Yes, sure. So, we would have a mix as as would be expected. We'd have forest trees. We would have fruit trees. Uh, shrubs and vines and you know some of the stuff you plant in the garden so um maybe by forest trees you may be familiar with uh, mahogany um angeline uh sip these provide you know good timber lumber and then some species we use the local names unfortunately i don't have the botanical the Latin names for them. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Gloricidia is, is, I think, a, a popular one. And um, then we have Fiddlewood. Uh, we have the range of mangroves, um, you know, that you'll get around in coastal areas. Uh, Pui, you might be familiar with the, with the Pui. Uh, it's a pink, there's a pink flower and a yellow flower as well they get some stuff from that and a range of plums some that we call hog plums that would take care of, of forest trees mahogany i don't know if i mentioned that some yes, of the fruit trees yeah you, you'd be familiar with a couple of the fruit trees um avocado cashew uh five fingers coconut right okay. uh coffee coffee as well wow so what makes the best honey? Uh, I would, well, you know, the, that's, that's a trick question now. <laughs> in terms of what's the, what's the best honey? Well, what's, what's your favourite? What's your favourite? What's your favourite? Let, let me put it this way. Um, so, you know, it's a question you, you often ask. And I say it's a matter of taste. But the glory cedar gives you a light, uh, silky honey. And the time that it forages, it's high temperature, so the, the moisture content is, is about the lowest you'll get. Um, 16 and a half, exceptional, more 17, 17 and a half percent moisture. 
So that's a light honey. If we have to enter the National Honey Show, we usually send samples from that. Um, on the other end of the scale, uh, you would have Angeline. Um, these are taller trees. They bear pods, darker flowers, um, uh, purplish type flowers. So you get a darker honey from it. Yeah, and, and is that and, um, insects derived as well from the woodland? Or do you have aphids and, and other insects that the bees forage upon? Right. Um, more so, not not particularly so in Tobago. In Trinidad, where you have um, extensive stands of, of rubber, uh, you would get, you would get, yes, a situation where you'd have aphids and so on. But most of ours would be, we'd have to call it, you know, floral honey. The, the thing is, you have a multiplicity of, of vines, shrubs, coralita, um, some call it Mexican creeper. Uh, it's a vine, it's tropical. Anywhere you go, you'd usually find it in any tropical island. And it's, it's a tell-all. It loves a lot of sun. If you go on it, you would usually see... Um, species of bees whatever they are uh, yeah they're like brambles here you know we have all right br cool <laughs> brambles are flowering and you, you see all bees and butterflies and insects and even ants on there you know right and then you got the, the regular you know the vegetables the the, the um, cubits and and hey you know banana flowers and all give you some nectar the the um ornamentals the hibiscus the frangipani yeah uh, and and you have, yeah, a, you like, have, a you have some native you have some native species of bee, don't you? Some stingless bees are they in? Yes, in the Caribbean. Yes, yes, and um, and that's you know nice to chat about because they, do, they doing okay. Are they all right? Yeah, but so so let me let me just say the of course I think it's known that um, the European bee was imported to the Western Hemisphere. Right, with the early colonists and so on when they brought stuff in. So I think, according to the literature, according to Eva Crane, we had bees in the Caribbean even before, um, well, European honeybees, even before mainland USA. We had, we had um, you know, uh, local people, the um, Amerindians, um, different yes. tribes and so on, before the Europeans came in. Of course, and that's you know, and people like that. Right. And of course, there was the local flora and fauna. And so we had the stingless bees, um, which is what was used. We, in fact, have about four varieties of, of the stingless bee in Tobago. The, okay. the biggest, okay, yeah, yeah the, the biggest of the four is um, the Melipona fervosa. It's, it's about uh, maybe half the size of a honeybee. That's just to give you an idea. Um, but the thing with stingless bees is that their populations are, are much smaller. Yeah. Their, so then, consequently, their production is much smaller. But the and were, strength... Was there a tradition of them being kept? Or were they just... Uh, or even, is there a tradition of honey being being harvested from them? Or were they... Because uh, in other parts of the Americas, you find traditions of that honey being used as medicine and sometimes small log hives, don't you, for these smaller colonies? Correct. Yeah. S same, same here. Same here. Um, the honey 
is valued more for its medicinal purpose eye drops and i must say that it its use is more traditional with the older folks now we have all these modern medicines people don't put honey in their eyes and this sort of thing again yes but what's interesting if you had to do a little compare and contrast in terms of the actual honey the moisture content stingless bees honey is much higher 23 24 percent moisture okay so it's um, easier to get in your eye then isn't it? <laughs> i guess i guess <laughs> not so granulated or sticky or whatever, yeah. yeah yeah but it it doesn't it doesn't ferment with that moisture content oh right uh -huh. so that's it's surprising that in it, the, it, yeah that's really surprising in the correct. heat of the caribbean yes yes yeah. it's said to have um higher levels of hydrogen peroxide in it but what should be interesting we had the university of, of utrecht um they have had a program master's program um on international development anyway rena samaya a PhD, he headed the program. He was um, president of Upper Mondia Standard Commission for Pollination and, and so on. Uh, he got a collaboration going with the beekeepers here in the early 90s, and of course the island government was involved. So for a period of uh, maybe three, four years, they had cycles of cohorts of students, two or three at the time, coming in. Um, they set up a a lab in one of the in the botanic gardens and they made you know with the infrared light and they made observations so interestingly they found a species that had not yet been um recorded scientifically ah, wonderful wonderful yes so so we got in the name um that species we uh the name was uh plebeia tobagonensis it, ah. it got the Tobago brand on it. But you say, but this this year's this year's a difficult year, would you say, weather-wise? Yes, it has been. Um, and you know, the thing with agriculture, when it's hard for one subsector, it's 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 better for another um, subsector. So yeah, beekeepers, we we don't complain in a way um, because. Uh, we understand that you know we didn't, as we say, we didn't put anything out there. Yeah. And so you, you got to take the yeah, yeah. you got to take the good with the bad. But this year, um, the records would reveal that it was an exceptional year for honey production. Um, I also harvest and several people pollen, and we seem to think that we were getting perhaps more pollen this year. Can I explain it? Um, but that's that's the reality of you know what we're facing now. Um, the rains we we are transitioning into the rain season. You know we have two seasons: dry season, which is roughly the first five five and a half months of the year, and the rest of the year is is the rain season. Of course, one merges to the other, so that if the rains don't come too heavy it started to fall and the, the trees are transitioning um you know they flower under stress so that's why you get the honey in the dry season 
Um, but there are some species, uh, fiddlewood, for example, that's a kind of savior species in beekeeping because that flowers, it throws leaves and, and right after it flowers very, very quick. And it, the bees feed it, they work it profusely. And What's so you again, get a, what, did, what did you call it again? Fid, so fiddlewood. Fiddlewood, yeah. Fiddlewood, yes. Yeah, so that's an you know, an ideal kind of crop. Plus a lot of shrubs, vines, um, medicinal plants. Everybody would throw out some flowers now as a response to the, the stress and the bitter rain. And if the weather isn't too heavy, if the rain isn't too heavy, maybe we'll have some honey. Have you not even got honey for yourself? Have you got honey for your family? Yeah, you know, you must tuck away something for yes. yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, of course. And the customers ask you, they say, you must have something yeah, there yeah, for yeah. yourself. Could I get... I said, man, I've given out all that I could, you know. I have a bit of um, chunk honey, which I, I sell oh, yeah. as well. Are you stopped by hives? Okay, I didn't um, know that. Oh, that's surprising. And, and are yeah. they horizontal or, or vertical? Are uh, they horizontal? Yep. Um, uh, but Langstroth is the standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so, Tabba hives are interesting. You know, I'm associated with Bees for Development. Yes. Um, I'm a member of their trustee and so on. I have, you know, excellent rapport with them, being in communication with them from, from start. So the whole concept of um, top bar hives and its application to the Caribbean. Um, we discussed it with, you know, Nicola, Dr. Bradbeer. And I said, because we into Langstroth, we have extractors, we have an association formed in 92. We rent um, six frame extractors to beekeepers and so on. All right, most of us make all of our wooden hive parts, right? We bring in frames, we bring in foundation, we right? So, how do I, how do we introduce top bar hives? You know, and we had to, we figured that the, the bottleneck would be uh, harvesting the honey. How do you filter? You know, how do yeah, you express um, the honey? Uh-huh. And this is, why, this is why you sell chunk honey, is it? Because that's just one so I use, correct. product. Correct. I use my, my top bar for chunk honey. Um, but yes, you have a surplus. But coming out of that, we had a research project that compared um, what we call it rectangular frame hives with top bar hives mm -hmm. for honey and beeswax production. Yeah. It was supervised by, by bees for development. Um, and so the, the data at the end of it, you know, we, we try to make it as scientific as possible using yeah. daughters from the same queen, same age, and that kind of uh -huh, thing. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. So the, the, the summary point was that um, rectangular frame hives, whether it's Langstroth or, or your national, whatever it is. With, with foundation um, in? Yeah, with foundation yeah. in, yeah. And, yeah. and perhaps bad, was better for honey production. But for beeswax production, your top bar hive was better. And so we, because we had paired 
or sets of colonies um, that we measured every time we harvested, we weighed what we got from it, you know, whole process. Um, the, the summary position was that for every one, for every, yes, one unit of honey, sorry, every 10 units of honey that we got from a top bar hive, we got one unit of beeswax. Right? Oh, you probably, Sorry, you I'm saying it wrong. I'm saying it wrong. No. 10 units of rectangular frame, right? Yeah. Whether it's 10 yep. pounds, 10 kilos, or whatever. Yeah, you but get 10 frames. one unit. Yes. You get one unit by weight of um, beeswax. 10 honey, one beeswax, right? With, with the uh, tubber hives, you get. With the tubba hives, the, the ratio was much different. Um, you got a higher percentage of beeswax. Not too sure whether I'm putting it out accurately, but the summary position was that um, there was a distinct bias using tubba hives towards beeswax production. Yeah, so if we were in a market where the price for beeswax was uh, comparative to honey or higher, then it would be in your interest to have a couple top bar hives. But our, our market here is strong for um is strong for honey, so you needed more honey, and we it was easier to get foundation sheets. So I've Couple and you of could us perhaps make your own, couldn't you? If you if you're producing a lot of wax from a exactly from top bars, well, me, then you can make clean. Let wax. me give you a good for ex, uh, instance. Let's say you in Guyana, um, you know South America, and there's beekeeping there. I know a beekeeping projects there. You take a light plane, land somewhere, take a boat, and travel some miles in. Yeah, you want to start a beekeeping project in there, natural forest and this kind of thing. You can't take in frames. You can't take in foundation. Top bar hives. You, you go there with a saw and you can bring back out your honey or sell it locally. But it had to do with your geo position, your dependence on, on imports and those kind of um, ancillary factors um, to advise. But there is nothing as beautiful as a frame, a top bar frame of naturally drawn, yeah, um, totally sealed lovely. glory yep. cedar honey. Yep. Ah, in that in that lovely sort of parabolic shape, and <laughs> all the wax has been is pure wax made by the bees themselves. That's right. So That's nice. Right. So nice. So do you yeah. do you have you ha you harvest wax? Yeah, I harvest I harvest wax. Um, I sell the chunk honey. I, I have customers who would order the comb honey. And the thing with the tubba, every year it's 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 not recycled wax, you know, that the bees store honey in, as as would be the case if you're using um, a rectangular frame hive or foundation. Yeah, so it's, it's better better it's, for the bees in, a, in in another way as well, isn't it? I'd imagine. Well, yeah, yeah. I know it is. It is because it's a it's virgin wax and it's cleaner, less disease. Co correct. Much better. Correct, yeah. and especially now with all the concern with 
contamination of wax and so on. Yes. And so once you have a little, it sells for a little higher price. Um, and uh, there's a, a, a burgeoning market for it here as well. Yeah. I mean, your customer today, he didn't want chunk honey. <laughs> Did he? Was he happy? <laughs> he didn't no, want, he, he wants runny honey, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and that's the term they use, runny honey. So, so let's link this thing with COVID-19. Um, the pattern is that, hey, the demand for honey has gone through the window. Ah, oh, because it's such yeah, a healthy no. food, so nutritious. Everybody and, and wants to boost their immune system, not mm -hmm, just honey. Mm -hmm. Pollen yeah. sales, pollen, pollen yeah. sales have mm -hmm. gone up as well. Yeah. You know, but over the years, um, we were some of our social problems, you know, high diabetes and high blood pressure and so on. Too much carbohydrates, right? But over the years, people have been using less and less sugar, you know, whether it's brown sugar or white sugar. There has been a decided trend to, towards using some natural sweetener. So we... Yeah, like honey. Yeah. Uh, so we great. benefited really from that. Yeah. But COVID has just come now and accelerated the whole process at a time when we don't have. <laughs> yeah, because it's so dry. The nectaries aren't filling up on the on the plants. Yeah, the it, it would on. be interesting to, to have, you know, if we were in the UK and we could have teamed up with some uh, institution, some research institution, university, to have some sort of exercises or research going on to better understand what's the cause of that. Um, is it that there was uh, precipitation wasn't high enough, uh, the temperatures were too high? Is it some wider cycle where the vegetation, for some reason, wasn't yielding as much nectar? You know, and wh when does your rain season start? When when would you expect the, to have more rain? Right. Normally, uh, the second week in May. Last two weeks in May is the, the transition starts. It, this year, it, it has pushed back a little bit. We were dry for most of May. Um, early June, we started to get some showers. Came down heavy, but not prohibitively heavy. Um, to tell you how heavy our rains would be, we would get an average, uh, say about, I checked the data, about 60 inches a year. And during our wettest months would be October, November. And you can get as much as, as eight inches in those months. Um, uh, for the other months, you know, would be four, five, six. March was used as usually our driest month. And if you get one inch of rain, then you got a whole lot. But this year, that March went into April. You know, April showers to give May flowers, that kind of thing. We didn't have much yeah. of that this year. Ah. Is that climate so change, the, do you think? I, I think so. I think so. We're seeing the effects of climate change, coastal erosion. We have to use a lot of armor rock on a lot of our um, coastal areas. Yeah, big boulders, um, so, so on. Sea, but sea levels I, are rising in your neck of the woods, are they? I would say so. From observation. But the manifestation of climate change, I would think, has to do with the, the variance in the flowering period. Um, and 
again, early on, your dry season was a dry season. Your rain season was a rain season. Right now, you would have, you know, the odd time in the dry season, you would get some unexpected, some uncharacteristic showers. And vice versa, in the rain season, you would have a dry spell. There, there's, there was a standard dry spell, which we call a, a pity carem. But, you know, using the curve concept, you could have looked at a pattern early on. And I think over the years, you would see what I call it now a flattening of the curve. And if I'm to translate that to beekeeping, but, you know, similar pattern where at the start of the season, your, your population goes up and this kind of thing, right? And the bees instinctively know in your case, um, the approach of winter and, and the population queen starts a little less and this kind of thing. Here, because we have, your queen could keep laying holier, right? And you can have a situation where you have a high to moderate population and those bees have to be maintained on nectar that they bring in. So your first couple months here, your population graph has gone up and the flow, the nectar flow doesn't give you a surplus. It's just enough to maintain that population. Yeah, so the bees are still okay. It's just the they are okay. Are, are, aren't able to sell any honey. We're running out of honey. That's correct. That's <laughs> correct. Yeah. That's correct. Gosh, that, that, yeah. that encapsulates this year's oh. experience. Yeah, and, and, and tourism is reduced as well, isn't it? So it's a, it's a difficult time, I should imagine. Oh yes, definitely, definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Actually, let me let me throw in a boast, a boast here. Um, yeah, more statement of fact, more statement of fact. Eh? Because Oxford University they did some rating, um, a global rating on countries handling of the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic. So you know who came out number one? Trinidad wow. and Tobago. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. That's all the honey that's all the honey and pollen everyone's been eating. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean we we still under lockdown, our borders are still closed. Yeah. Yeah. We had about five or six deaths. Uh I think the, the general public has responded to entreaties by the, the state and the medical health people to wear the mask, to stay home, stay safe, stay alive. And so we were locked down. Um you know, we have our annual carnival, one of the biggest carnivals in the world after Brazil. I was towards, towards the end of February. And in the run-up to that, there was big debate as to whether it should go on. Anyway, it went ahead. And immediately after, um, we started the lockdown. What's happening now is that persons who worked on cruise ships, a couple hundred of them, you know, and now being allowed to come back in and everybody coming in now has to go under a mandatory two week quarantine. And any, so any new cases are only sourced from incoming, but we don't have within, within the communities, at least so far we, yeah, we've been very responsible. Uh, a little mischief statement, unlike other parts of the world. 
Can I ask you, um, Gladstone, about, uh, well, you mentioned Bees for Development earlier yes. on. Yes. And, uh, and I understand uh, Bees for Development do safaris to, to, uh, to, your area, to your part of the world. Can you tell us a bit more about oh, yes. that? Yes, love to talk about that. This novel, um, uh, Beekeeping Holiday. So, I, I mix that up, just to give you an idea how it, how it got started. Bees for Development has been doing that, I think, even before it didn't start with Tobago. But we, we started a series of Caribbean beekeeping conferences in 1998. And that was spurred on by sort of my experience having um, gone to Upper Mondia in, I think, in Switzerland in 95. Anyway, so we, were, we had the first Caribbean conference in the Bego in 98. And for the second one, we went to, to uh, Nevis. So I'm in touch with Bees for Development, have been. And, and with Nicola who broached the idea of maybe we can, you know, mix in uh, attending to the conference with uh, extended holiday, beekeeping holiday, that kind of thing. And so we said, why not? So I put together a package. It's a 10-day package, basically. So it, it continued. That first one came off. And then we tweaked it a little bit um, in terms of the timing of the year. The first one was in August. We brought it into your winter period, and what, and what uh, would uh, what would someone expect to be doing if if, uh, if I came along on cool. one? Would we visit apiaries, so taste some honey, go swimming? Yeah, you know what kind of you turn the itinerary, itinerary would look like this, right? And it's it's a small small group, five, six, seven. Um, the reality is, we never had more than uh, seven persons, so yep. it's a yep. personal group. Lots of flexibility. Yeah. So the, the basic concept is information exchange, um, camaraderie building. Uh, so we've had, it's not exclusively for beekeepers, but beekeeping is a fundamental, is the core part of it. But we've had accompanying persons who, who weren't beekeepers attended. Yeah. So we would spend, yeah. say, the first six days in Tobago, we would visit, the first day would be introduction. We look at flora and fauna, we go by home gardening, we do a bit of bird watching, we do a quick city tour and we sort of introduce you slowly to the, you know, the temperature may be a little higher, you coming out of winter. And um, the next three days we would visit three or four beekeepers. Um, you do practical beekeeping and at, at your pace, you have conversations with the beaker, beekeeper, you know, it's, you, you ask questions. I merely facilitate the process and we have lunch. We would spend the morning period doing that. In the afternoon, it's a little softer because the temperature would be a little higher. So we, we add variety. Part of the part of the offering, too, it's a it's a cuisine aspect for your dinners. Um, you yeah. have the opportunity to sample cuisine in different restaurants. Um, wherever we go in the community, we try to use somewhere local. We try to blend into the society, so you get a real feel of how it is at mm -hmm. the ground. Uh, because the event is say pre-carnival, two weeks before. There's opportunity for some cultural exposure. We can go to a steel barnyard, 
there may be some steel band concert. All of that is optional depending on members of the group, um, how energetic they are. Uh, we go on, you know, we have the oldest declared rainforest in the Western Hemisphere. I had no idea. Yes, um, Bainbridge Forest Reserve, and this is a benefit in 1776, um, by an act, I think in the British Parliament, an area don't have the number of hectares, but Tobago has one, it runs north to northeast to southwest, sort of a diagonal, um, with a main ridge, and most of that has been reserved for conservation. And I'm saying that the idea was it originated with the with the earlier settlements. So we had a hurricane in '62 that you know took down a lot of the main trees, but it's a sort of must see um, site uh, for visitors. So we include that in the package, different trails you can take a walk. Um, we have a good uh, environmental mix, rainforest to um, to corals. We have the book reef uh, with an island pool. You're on a sandbar, maybe a mile from the from the mainland, and the water is reaching your bio waste. Now. I'm going to let you know the secret of that pool. For ladies who go in and bathe, once they re-emerge, they look 10 years younger. I mean, this has been... <laughs> Only ladies. <laughs> the, the men, they get more virile. <laughs> so, so people are sort of anxious to go there. Um, go to our book reef if you like snorkeling and so on. Um, we no longer permit walking on the reef, but you know, you see all our um, marine features and so on. So that's that's another day. Um, we have repositories of, of forts from the colonial era um, along uh, little headlands on the island. So we, so we do that. And we wrap it, up, wrap it up with an island tour. Now the contrast between both islands, Trinidad and Tobago, apart from the geographic size, from a beekeeping perspective, the bees in Tobago are still a European hybrid, right? Italians mixed with the Black Russian and so on. In Trinidad, which is seven miles from Venezuela, the nearest point, we've had since uh, 1979 an, a constant stream of Africanized bees but you know the, the background story, right? From Brazil, they moved north, right? They're seven miles, um, Trinidad is seven miles from mainland Venezuela. you got some rocks in between. Um, so the bees in Trinidad are Africanized since 79. Trinidad, Tobago is 22 miles upwind from Trinidad. And the Africanized bees are not yet in Tobago. I have to put it yeah. that way because they want <laughs> to get here at something. I'm, I'm sure they keep trying, but then they... <laughs> um, there were instances where we thought they arrived and, you know, we did some checks. But we know that there's a constant stream. So somebody on the safari would have an opportunity 
to experience Africanized bees. We spent about four days there. Um, bigger beekeeping, uh, we, we, you know, we go by some of the commercial beekeepers. And um, we do other, other soft ecotourism stuff there. Trinidad is renowned for its, um, its scarlet ibis, um, one of the few places in the world that's found in Venezuela. So we take a, a reef boat tour. We stay at um, a old monastery there. So it's a, it's a nice mix. And the antidotal aspects of it, take for example, this year, we had a couple, when we mentioned the name, who came, but the gentleman, his great, great, I think it's either two or three great grandfather was a colonial administrator. And really? from his understanding, from his records, he stayed, you know, in one of the colonial houses. And he asked whether it was possible to see it. Actually, the house is now um, the official resident of the, of the president. Uh, right. <laughs> the president <laughs> is in Trinidad when they come to the Bigo the Stadium. So, of course, you got security, that, the regiment, and so on. So on the island tour, I stopped and spoke to the officer. And he was sympathetic, but he said, you know, we have our... Anyway, he put me onto the housekeeper. Um, the idea was to ask whether they would allow them to come on the compound to take some pictures. And she allowed them. We couldn't go in the building, but they got pretty close to it. And that, that sort of made his holiday. He was so glad that, you know, stuff oh, like that great. happened. We have had cases where persons were interested in um, in windmills from the, the, the sugar era. You may have a personal interest that we could accommodate. And because the group is small... I have a personal interest. I, I'm really interested in traditional honey drinks. Have you, right. got, many, have you got many of those? No, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> we, we, we know of mead. Yeah. Uh, don't forget, yeah, we know of mead. Any, yeah, we, it's not part of, of, of our tradition. Don't forget now, we would be more into sugar and, yeah. and, and you know where you're going, you're going to rums. So oh, if, your interest was in, if your interest was in um, traditional sugar cane drinks, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> like rum. And I, I, I've, seen some, I've seen some Caribbean, like tonic wines uh like jagra and things like that uh, they, yeah. they don't have, so they don't have honey in they're just pure no we don't we, we, yeah some of our beekeepers um would have made mead yeah we use we make our fruit wines fermented fruit you know mm -hmm. we have we can make wines from any fruit basically um but even meat is a slow mover. It's not, it's not part of the, of the tradition. Yeah. The rums you, and the local food wine. You could have a honey rum, I suppose, couldn't you? Or something like that. Yeah, I imagine. But, you know, something, the, the price of honey here, um, uh, let me see if I can do, our, our, our standard is um, a rum bottle, a 750 ml rum bottle, which is about two and a half pounds. And that would sell for something like 17, 
17 pounds. Uh, I'm trying to bring it down to, a, a, I know you use a one pound jar, but our mm -hmm. prices here may, may be um, pretty close to yours. But yeah. in terms of our economy, it's considered an expensive item. Sure. So you wouldn't want to use it all on your mead if you didn't have it to spare kind of thing? Well, the, the thing with mead is you wouldn't use your preferred honeys, you know. Um, if it's on its way to fermentation or something like that, you'd use it. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, are we more I... into honey for honey purpose, for as honey as a, as a product in itself? Mm-hmm. And, and you make your well, your wife makes soap and you use wax products and other things right and hey yeah I spoke to her and she's she's agreed to to um you know give you a little recording yeah the value added products uh she makes uh, a shampoo hair conditioner a facial cream soap um all of which we market uh under under the King Solomon brand. And it's yeah. interesting. You know, my surname is Solomon, of course. Yeah. And um, culturally, um, you know, religion is a strong part, the, you know, English Catholic faiths and the derivatives. So King Solomon has his place in, in the recesses of people's minds. <laughs> so the brand in itself. <laughs> Very good. Um, has benefited from some sort of association. But in addition to that, when I started to sell way back in the 80s, I used to go to the market, um, the, the main market on the island. And once your product gets, as we'd say here, blessed, in other words, the people fancy it, then you're good to go. So... Somebody go in the market and they say, where can I get some honey? I would go there on, on, say, like just a Saturday. They would say, the guy in Hope, Solomon. So over the years, I have benefited from um, excellent word of mouth. And, and that mixed with the magic of the name of the brand and the fact that I deliberately focused on the Tobago market um, has our brand in Tobago in this field as, as perhaps the most outstanding and, and widely known. So it's, it's a benefit of, you know, years in the business, um, good yeah. product. But That's why you've, why you've sold out then, isn't it? Yeah. No, I've never seen a commodity with, with product loyalty as honey. You would meet a customer or you may be chatting, let's say there is some, some fear or something, some World Foodie exhibition and somebody would come to the stand and they would ask you about your honey and somebody right there on the stand would say, yeah, that is the best honey, you know. <laughs> Um, the market yeah. here feels that their beekeeper has the best honey in the world and would stick with that yeah. brand, <laughs> which is good. Yeah. So we, we the beekeepers, we don't argue with that. Um, you know, this is why in a way I made the question of which is the best, which is the best honey 
you may have a lighter one and a darker one and they would ask you which one I should take. And I, I would ask them whether they prefer a mango or, or um, a, a grapefruit, you know. I said, well, it's a matter of taste. Yeah. So do you do single source honeys? Do you have like a speciality, like a, I don't know, a, a fiddle tree honey or a something else honey? Do you have a... No, no. All, all of our honeys are generally marketed as multi-floral yeah. multi honeys. We don't have exclusive stands. The fiddlewood is the closest you would come to it because at the time when that flowers, um, there is not much flowering in, in terms of the, um, the, the, the extent of nectar. But let me say a little thing more about this fiddlewood. It's an interesting honey. I call it, it's a, it's a sort of active honey because of when it flowers, it has a higher moisture content. Um, but probably it, because of some innate factor in, um, from the species itself, it's, it's pretty active, notwithstanding the moisture content. So if you're contrasting that with the Gloricidia honey, um, which, you know, as I said, is silky, it's smooth, no bubble, it just, just sits there in the jar. Fiddlewood um would be active you know so what you have to do is at least what i do is you blend your fiddlewood but but you know things have their strong points um culturally and traditionally when you have the worst of colds you know bad colds a formula for that would be the same fiddlewood tree you pong the leaves squeeze it out and that causes all the cold to regurgitate you know you vomit it up that's a traditional use and do, do you have people people like traditional healers like people that might run a, like a botanica type situation or or uh or um that kind of stuff going on in in, in tobago in smaller numbers um people's association with herbs now the good thing is there's a reversal back to that trend you yeah know? i think it's happening all over the world isn't it i think it's yes time. yeah mm -hmm. yeah which is good and so you yeah. have some specialty stores um you know like the neem and the, the moringa um people are drying it the uh selling the leaves and all sorts of things and you know there's a host of information um on well even tropical medicinal plants you have some early books um that some of the the stalwarts um would have written you know so yes there's well you made the point there's um a, revi a revisitation of that aspect of the culture and i think beekeeping and hive products generally um, would be a, benefit, a benefactor of, of that sort of resurgence. Yeah, yeah. And, and are the younger generations, are they interested in beekeeping? Or is it something that has to be, uh, is it something that's popular or, or are you like running out of beekeepers or are people, yeah. young, pe young people interested? We, 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 in fact, experiencing 
now um, for this, let's say starting uh, early in the last decade, and we just roll back a bit. We got Varroa in 2000, and um, we had 32 beekeepers on the island around that time. The number of beekeepers fell by half, um, the population of colonies. And then after Varroa, two or three years after, we had some serious bout of, of, of PNS, some parasitic mite syndrome. We got it. We got it identified in all the all the viruses. We had a lot of rainfall that year, so further losses, and our beekeeping was down um, for a decade from about two or five, right into the next decade. Yeah, from about so it wasn't a, 20, so it wasn't, a pop, wasn't a popular profession because it was suffering. It losses, wasn't. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's picking up now. It's picking up. Good, and good. so if we do an experience profile. Um, there are, there are, maybe half a dozen, not much more than that, uh, persons into beekeeping who would have twenty plus years experience. Yeah. And is there um, is there a is there a sort of treatment free trend, or are there many wild colonies around, or is it quite an intensively treated kind of beekeeping culture? What what's the, what's the situation? Interesting. There? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, ha we have a mix of practices now. Uh, let me just, you know, run back to, to Varroa because prior to that, hey, you don't even have to study anything. You, all you had was Belouse, which you don't even, you don't even see now. Yeah. But none of the fall broods or no Seymour or Crane or anything like that ever existed. Honey and those, beekeeping in those days were easy, easier. Um, with Varroa, um, Hey, we, we got into Apistan, we got into the chemical treatment, <laughs> uh, APGAD, some years. Um, it was difficult, and I can speak personally, um, to see half your colonies going down and to see you're leaving them to sort themselves out, you know. It was... <laughs> so I personally opted for treating. Mm -hmm. And then you try the integrated methods. You use tobacco leaf and, yeah. and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. um, I think the, over the years, oh, but what we did too um, around that time, two or two, two or three, we bought in allegedly varroa resistant bees from Hawaii. Uh -huh. um, a total of about three hundred. Um, I don't think they were varroa resistant at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, so. We have reduced, Apistan is no longer used generally throughout the island. Um, generally, the odd person may have some that, that they may use that we're not aware of. Um, we have a couple of beekeepers who will tell you they don't do anything. But uh, in terms of treatment, um, some would do the culling of drone cells and so on. I personally, um, you know, there's the the oxalic acid um, fogging. Um, I do that uh, pre-season. Um, pre-season, so like, you know, October, November. And around now, you, you would do a little monitoring. I would see Varroa monitoring. I've accepted that they are part of the landscape. I don't go through the um, two or three varroa per hundred count or sugar shake and, you know, that aspect of the science. Um, 
I turn over deliberately uh, more foundation, more sheets, so there's less residual impact. And you do a little breakdown, you try to the extent that you could to have some, some break in the, in the brood cycle. Um, if I have a flexible regime, uh, where I may give a second treatment, but I usually get away with, with one solid good treatment. Um, you expose your bees more to the sun. I think those are factors rather than having them in, in closed areas. And um, yeah, you know, you try, you try stuff like that. But there is some element of treatment that takes place. There is more interest in beekeeping. Um, generally, we honor we on an upswing in terms of number of beekeepers. Yeah. And there's there's the market. There is the market. There is the demand for the product. Um, this may be of interest to, to listeners. I'm a member of the Evesham uh, Beekeepers Association uh, in the area of um, Worcestershire. I, I joined I joined last year. I actually did the BBK basic yeah, we don't make it to many I... meetings. No, <laughs> it's like it's like me. I don't, I don't, I don't make it to many meetings of my yeah. association. Yeah. So, so we have Tobago in particular, you know, because of the years we've been doing safaris, we have this excellent link with beekeepers in the UK. Um, we've had cases where beekeepers revisit, and people who they have met on the safari made friends and so on. Great stuff. So, yeah, best of luck. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, thank you for be uh, being a part of Living Being. Yeah, man. And we'll speak to you again, hopefully. All Thanks, right, Gladstone. It's been beautiful. Yeah, it's been thank great. Thank you a lot. Bye now. Good. Cheerio. Bye. Hello Sharon, Hello. It's, uh, it's, it's Patrick and, uh, and, and Chris. Hi, hi Sharon. Hi, hi, hi Chris. Yeah, we've just had a lovely conversation with your with your husband about um, bees in your part of the yeah. world and mm -hmm. he told us all about uh, all about what, um, what what you do with bees okay. and um, he, he, we just love to hear from, uh, from you and what you do. Well, now what I do, I mostly make soap. I used to keep bees with Blackstone years ago. But I stopped doing that. I started making soap from years ago when my son was having an allergy problem. One of them. So that's how I started making bar soap. So yeah, how, did, how did you learn? Well, there was this lady who, who, who by the name of Debbie that Gladstone brought from Florida. So I uh -huh. had a workshop with her. But over the years, I've really developed my craft on my own, basically by you know doing research and looking you know looking at videos and doing research because yeah. I, I usually like to develop my own recipes i don't like to use other people's recipes because well, i want I, to I, I, could, I imagine i imagine coconut flavored soap for some reason with bits yeah. of coconut in it or something well i have something like that. Is that the kind of thing you do yes well my soap most of my soap have you know they have coconut oil in it because uh, coconut yeah. oil in combination of castor oil you know makes a lot of lather uh -huh. so you don't have right. to add any put any additives or derivatives in it yeah 
So I started making bar soap and, you know, for home. And then my, I, I started selling it at the World Food Day. And, you know, people were, other people were giving workshops or the bar soap um, market became sort of saturated. So I started oh. making shampoo and which no uh, liquid. I stepped up to liquid soaps and cream soaps, yeah. which most people don't like to dabble with. Uh, does, does shampoo have honey in it? Yes, it does. Great. You, you know, so, there's an old remedy in, in some old books. It tells tells us that um, if you're going bold on, on, on your head, or anywhere in your body, I suppose, but you can grind up bees <laughs> just as they are and, and, and sort of slap them on, and that will bring your hair sprouting back. <laughs> Renew your, your balding head. I, I've not mm. tried it yet, and, okay. uh, but you know, one day I'll try it. So there's a tip for you there. <laughs> I don't okay. know how you could market that. There's a tip for you there. Do you um, put any other things from the hives do you, to, to good use? Do you use propolis and pollen and things like that? No, I don't use propolis and pollen. The only time oh. I use propolis and pollen because there's a particular um, body cream that I use, especially I make it for Gladstone to use because he likes it. So that has all the yeah. beekeeping additives in it i usually make it for him to use because he likes it but i usually add family. honey to my shampoo and my conditioner i don't put propolis i don't put um beeswax or any of that stuff in it just honey alone yeah because, okay okay yeah and and are you called queen solomon i know gladstone no. markets his honey as king solomon's <laughs> no. honey you're not <laughs> no. so what is it do you have a do you have a a marketing tag a, a name yes i have a, a label it's, it's marketed under the king solomon brand it is as, oh, as the honey yeah yeah mm -hmm. sounds lovely yeah very healthy so did you realize that the did you research um how how healthy these that honey would could be for the skin or did you just do it by trial trial and error yeah well mostly you put you know honey is you know really is a healthy food so you can add it to almost, you know, anything. I put it in my conditioners. I put it in my facial cream soap. You know, I put it in my bar soaps. You know, I put it in, I put it in my cooking. So I, you know, it's a healthy food and it can go almost everywhere. And do you ever meet anyone that doesn't like honey? Some, every now and again, I'll meet someone mm, and they no, say, oh, I don't I've like never... honey. <laughs> I think I met one person who told me that they um, honey didn't agree with them. One person I think I met. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Sometimes children. Yeah, don't one like person. Honey. I don't know why. One adult. Yeah. I remember meeting one adult. And and you have a, a son or some sons. You have a a family yeah. that help with the beekeeping. Well, they're not anymore because they don't live here anymore. Two of my sons yeah. live abroad. One lives in New York. One lives in Washington D.C. Uh -huh. And the other one works in the public service, and they don't have time to dabble in beekeeping. Okay. So. Do Do you make any drinks or anything with your honey, Patrick? Do you, Have you ever made mixed honey and vinegar together? No, I haven't actually. I haven't tried it. That's oh, quite a nice, quite a nice uh, tonic. Is it? It's be really good for you. And also, some people like to mix. Some people like to mix cinnamon with honey and and into a kind of paste and take it internally and also use it externally delicious really delicious as well do you have a in tobago i imagine you have that traditional 
spices that you might use in your food and of course you, you've mentioned that you you've that's just mouth watering you can use cinnamon for lowering cholesterol wonderful and and I'm, my mouth is watering yes, hearing yes. you talking yeah. about your caribbean cooking i'd like to hear, hear more about that <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to hear more about that how do you use honey yeah. in your in your food yeah i use it now if i have you know sometimes in my chicken in my yeah. whatever i'm cooking my shrimp or whatever for basting I'm cooking, or marinating and things, things like that. i'll just mm -hmm. yeah I'll just put a dash of i'll put some honey in it you know it makes a difference depends on the flavor of the honey yeah. Mm. You know, it, it it will determine you know what it will taste like. Mm. Well, one day maybe we'll come on a on a safari, and meet okay. you. <laughs> what do you think, Patrick? Okay. Yeah, I think we 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 should definitely come out and sample sample some of your yeah, honey uh, uh, and cooking. I've just finished making a coracle, okay. so we could start paddling now. <laughs> and do you, you is there a reason why you stopped? Keeping bees, you said you used to help Gladstone, but but then you stopped. Yeah, well, yeah, because I it was I had the the, the kids were were young and I would have to stay home with them and uh -huh, yeah. and I have to cook and I have all too. that stuff to do and then I still have to extract the honey, so it was getting a little much for me. So yeah, kids is enough, isn't it? <laughs> it's not having kids yeah. is enough work for anyone. Yeah, oh, it's lovely. It's uh, Sharon, that's so lovely to hear you, what you've been doing you know on top of everything that that uh that Gladstone, it sounds like you've got a whole rounded of offerings of different uh products and honey and soap and shampoo and everything you know and all healing all healing yeah. remedy stuff yeah thank you sharon i gladstone was saying yeah. that the weather has been a bit dry there and i hope i hope uh every, yes it yeah, was uh, it was a very dry dry season very yeah. well i hope that um uh, gets better soon yeah i hope it, it's well it's raining now but you know it's very sparse in between and in between right. it's not really just evaporates off heavy I suppose, showers, yeah. 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 yeah do you yeah. do you sell it mainly at the door then um or are you selling you selling at markets you said it's sell at markets and no in the home mostly at home they come the the honey is never it's we never have enough honey to sell yeah. really the demand outstrips the supply. Right. Okay. Okay. So you 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 could just wait wait for people to come to to yours. You don't have to go out. Yes, and... that's yeah. exactly. Yeah, their phone is ringing off the hook, and they come as soon as they get they find out that we have honey again. The phone will be ringing off the hook, and the cars will be outside. <laughs> <laughs> and have you ever exported honey to England? I know. The Beast for Development Shop sometimes has honey from various different places, and I don't think we we don't have well we well, we Gladstone may have taken up honey. Yeah, that's, you know, that's what I meant. Really, yeah. We had the honey show, but I don't. We don't really have enough no, honey to export. We yeah. don't even have enough honey for the local market, much less for export. And you need to keep it back for yourself as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a, they, they, it's really demand really outstrips yeah, the supply. That, and this year it wasn't such a good season for honey because of the weather, and the customers are getting, you know, they just keep coming. They much more. The customers are so large now that we don't even sell honey wholesale anymore. Yep. Because our customer, our retail customer base is, it's really huge. Well, that's brilliant. 
Well, we wish you wish you, wish you all the best and, and good luck with the sales of your of your products. Thank you. Oh, that's great to hear from Gladstone Solomon, King Solomon and all of his work. It's great to have Sharon as well, to see that kind of family unit. And, that, and that's quite, you know, it's quite a, quite a nice thing, isn't it? Within beekeeping, there are often family businesses and, and you can see, you know, Gladstone's doing his thing and, and Sharon's doing her thing. And they've got the, the bees, the kind of social glue that's keeping them, their work going. And it's great for their community and, and again, great for nature. Oh, I don't know if I'll ever make it to the Caribbean or off of this sacred island again. <laughs> but, oh, I know. But, but you know, but uh, oh, you know, uh, Patrick, I don't fly much. I don't know about you, but uh, I always feel too guilty flying around the world. Yeah, and uh, you know, especially in, in the name of Mother Earth and Mother Nature and bees and all that kind of stuff. But but though, I think beekeeping is probably one of the main lures for me if I ever do travel far flung. Adventures across this earth, I think it would be something beekeeping related. Yeah, would be, would be the lure. Well, absolutely. You? No, I, I mean, I could. When I was listening to what you get as a part of a bee safari, um, you know, and, and all this goes to a good cause. I should, uh, I should point out, um, the money goes for, to bees for development, doesn't it? Yes, for, yeah, the, does, for yeah. the bee safaris. But anyway, I mean, I when I was listening to Gladstone talking about the, the bee safari, I just thought, wow, it's am- amazing just to, to be able to experience some, you know, something different, something uh, to be able to immerse yourself in beekeeping yeah. in a completely mm-hmm. different environment, different country, seeing different bees, a bit, the way they the way they behave differently, uh, the way you know the way the honey might be different, all sorts of mm-hmm. sampling different. Uh, different things would be brilliant but i like you yeah. like you it would mean you know yeah. an extensive um flight and uh getting over to that part of the world yeah but bees are good for the world aren't they I mean, if, you, if you support bees for development you're not just supporting beekeepers you're supporting bees and bees support the world you know they do so many good things for for, for plants and for animals and, and for for pollination and for for Food production, they, the, in their quiet little way, bees are, bees are, uh, creating much goodness in the world and much medicine and much, much things that we wouldn't necessarily notice. Yeah, and I, th- I think what's clear from the way Gladstone talks and Sharon is that they've they've both been gripped by well something I've certainly experienced since taking up beekeeping. Which is you're just gripped by a fascination, aren't you? This of this creature, mm-hmm. and uh, it's almost as if, well, as he said, a beekeeping uh, found him, you know, or the bees yeah. found, it, it, and it, it's almost like a, a sort of calling when you start going going through the whole process of learning about it, and the subject just widens and widens and widens, and you see all sorts of opportunities to learn different things about bees, and you just start to get hooked, don't you? Um, yeah, and it's a real, it's a real. You can't. It's very difficult to backpedal and say, "Oh no, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, this is becoming too obsessive." You, you just become more and more obsessed by it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you, and you make more and more podcasts. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and talk to more and more people, and continue, you continue. You know, life's too short, isn't it? You know, you just once you start beekeeping or something, uh, then you just wish you'd started it years ago, and you could. And you can learn it all in one lifetime, but of course you can't. No, you can't. 
can't. For some ways, you could be you could be glad that, that we have started it now. You know that we haven't left yeah, until, until longer. Because yeah. uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, Your it is all is relative, full, isn't it, Patrick? Sorry, yeah. your glass is half full. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, but uh, I just uh, I found it yeah just lovely to listen to both of them and um, lovely stories and uh, and it's great to hear that they're sort of working together and making a family business of it. Um, and it's often works really well as a family business, providing that, you know, everybody's interested in it. You know. um, that was Sharon and Gladstone uh, talking to us from Tobago, all about all their beekeeping experiences. Uh, and um, if you want to hear more from Living Being, just tune into our next podcast. Uh, we're talking to James Fernley uh, about the bee arc and propolis, aren't we, Chris? Yes, he is the the best propolis man in the world, I would say. And uh, yeah, fascinating talking to to James Fernley. And, and he's not just a apicetical um, kind of a genius. He's got so much that he's done in his life, hasn't he? Yeah, really, really wonderful interview with James Fernley. Hope you can tune into that one. Yeah, he's so insightful. And, and, and really interestingly, I'm, I'm hearing more and more stuff coming up in the in the press and um you know news about the health of of the honeybee and the health of the of products from from the hive you know and um so certainly um we'll be talking to more people where you know about the health benefits of of propolis and all sort and and apitherapy and all sorts of things so we've got dr stefan stangasiu coming up from Romania. He's your teacher, your, your guru. He is my, he's my, my yeah. hypotherapy guru. Yeah. I couldn't extol his virtues more to you. No, he, he is great. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's very, and again, very inspirational. And we've got more, more interviews. Uh, we're going throughout the, the winter, really. If you want to hear more of our podcast, subscribe to Living Being, tweet about us, um, find us on Facebook, and uh, see you next time on Living Being. Bye. Cheerio, see you next time. <laughs>